0: Today is Friday, October 14th, 2022, and I've got a lot to talk about in this episode. We'll see if we can get it all in. But first of all, most importantly, perhaps, I am adding a fourth monitor to my home computer. Yes, you heard that right. A fourth, which is to say that I've been rocking three since February of 2019. And. It's worked great. It's worked really, really well. I had two for a long time, and then there were three, and now there's going to be four. But since February of 2019, I've had one 32-inch Pixio monitor flanked on either side by 27-inch Acer's. And the center one, it's oriented in the conventional landscape uh, mode, where... It's wider than it is tall. And then the side monitors were set in a tall, vertical uh, portrait mode. And the mount holding all three together, strapped, clamped, mounted to my desk, uh, it kind of looked like one of the old medieval triptychs, uh, triptych paintings where you have three panels, three paintings, actually, that make one painting, in a sense. But if the tracking from Amazon, the shipment tracking information holds true, today, a second 32-inch Pixio monitor will be arriving. The new mount that holds four is already in place. I got it set up yesterday afternoon into the evening a little bit. So the three monitors I've already got that I've had since February of 2019, they're already set up on that. And... Now, all four are going to be in landscape mode. I like having two or any, right? Any at all is good, but I've enjoyed having two in portrait mode for text. If I don't want to have to scroll quite a lot, I can just have the text there uh, in the portrait mode monitors. And then I can have, you know, more like videos and things like that in the conventional landscape orientation but i think this is going to be good i think it's going to be good to have the two smaller ones as a supporting cast if you will still but we'll have them be up high so it's two stacked on two instead of three in a in a row uh next to each other side by side the two smaller 27 inches they'll be supporting cast And I'll just put things I don't need to look at or work with steadily up on those if I want to be able to refer to them with a quick glance to remind myself. And then the two larger ones, they'll remain at the more comfortable eye level to where I'm not getting, you know, a crick in my neck, as Lauren says. I can already tell, even without the fourth monitor just yet, this is going to shake up my workflow, my typical workflow on this computer And I'm at this computer quite a lot. So I'm excited to see what kind of a difference it makes in terms of output, quality, and quantity. I think it's good to shake things up every now and then. Innovation is a great thing. I love innovation. I love looking for ways to make things better or do things in a fresh way. I love things not getting stale to where, you know, every now and then, if you can just rearrange the elements. Maybe you see new connections, new ways to accomplish tasks. Maybe your task has changed and you didn't recognize it because you kept on doing things the same way that you were doing them. There are legitimate places for change. Change sometimes is beneficial. It's not always beneficial, but sometimes it is beneficial. I think this is going to be a beneficial change and I'm very excited about it. But. On a more serious note, I have two documentaries to talk about, and I have two books that I just finished yesterday to talk about. The two documentaries, both are uh, from the, The Daily Wire, one of them by Matt Walsh, the other by Candace Owens. Both you should check out, but in terms of order of when you would watch one or the other, you need to see... Matt Walsh's What is a Woman. If you haven't watched it yet, you need to see it. This movie made me both extremely sad and angry for what has been lost and squandered and even systematically made war against in America and the West over the past century. And it's not a a new project that gender is being challenged, that the idea of masculinity and femininity would be tinkered with. That's not a new thing as though that's never been before. There is no new thing into the sun. And we need to remember that both for the sobering realization that should cause us to have that until the new heavens and the new earth, these are just going to be with us. These movements, these trends, these corruptings of culture and civilization and cities and states and nations, they are going to come and go, they are going to rise and fall. But I think the flip side is we can get a sense of what the shelf life is for these kinds of movements if we look back through history and we see, hey, every now and then, uh, some culture self-destructs, and this is part of how you know that a culture is self-destructing. It's committing suicide, as it were, that it embraces homosexuality, it embraces transgenderism, it rejects the idea even, not just the specifics, but even the idea that men and women have certain responsibilities as men and as women. But this documentary, it asks the simple question, what is a woman? That's a simple simple question. Marcia Blackburn asked it of Ketanji Brown Jackson, Biden's Supreme Court nominee to replace Justice Breyer. Marcia Blackburn asked the question and the folks on the left got very upset. And actually I am still locked out of Twitter since March, March 26th because I clapped back at a certain Democrat, a certain leftist on Twitter who has run for Congress unsuccessfully a couple of times. As a Democrat, he is going to say Democrat things on Twitter. And as a conservative myself, as an independent, I am going to reserve the right to disagree with him. And so he said, with all due respect, uh, Tennessee needs to remove and replace Marsha Blackburn. So the big idea here being that it was disqualifying of a duly elected United States Senator for her to ask a Supreme Court nominee what a woman is. Can you define what a woman is? And my response was, with all due respect, Chris Jolly Hale, what a retarded thing to say. And my point there was not to be mean. It wasn't to be irritable, it wasn't to be short off, it wasn't to be disrespectful. My point there was, of course, it's an entirely relevant question in our day and age. In a day and age when Leah Thomas is in the headlines, when Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner is in the headlines, where Drag Queen Story Hour, even in schools and churches, is in the headlines all the time, constantly... Where J.K. Rowling is getting death threats because feminist though she is, she dared to reject the idea that transgender men or transgender women or whichever way it goes, biological males who decide they want to dress up as women and take hormones and get surgery and then demand being called and recognized as a woman, she questioned that. She pushed back on that publicly. And it didn't matter that she had been a full-fledged member in good standing of this modern age and its paradigms. It didn't matter that she was friendly to the left and the left was adoring of her prior to her questioning transgenderism. She got death threats. And a lot of folks that had acted in the movie adaptations of her books coming out and denouncing her and refusing to have anything to do with her. She's the one who wrote the story that made you famous and wealthy, guys. So of course, it's a relevant question for Marsha Blackburn to ask a nominee to the Supreme Court, because it's very likely to certain that the Supreme Court's going to be hearing cases with regards to this question of what is a woman. Before I vote to confirm you, to the Supreme Court, I want to know, do you have a conviction, a position, any sense whatsoever of what a woman even is, much less that you would know what her rights are? If you don't even know what a woman is, how are you going to be able to speak intelligently to her rights? How are you going to be able to defend her rights? The simple answer is you can't and you won't. And that's the moment we're in right now. But Matt Walsh and the folks at The Daily Wire did an excellent job on this documentary. I think the high point was arguably their trip to Africa to talk with the Maasai tribesmen. That is a fantastic segment because it gets at the jugular of a trope among the radical gender theorists that gender is, I quote, a social construct. And to that, I would say, (laughs) for being a social construct you guys seem to be uh, ironically conforming to the social construct just in the opposite direction. So the man who decides he wants to be a woman is just embracing that social construct. And what's this actually about? It's not that he was born that way. If you're saying gender is a social construct, well, then you have to mean it. Well, I think what you really mean is we should be able to do whatever we want with no consequences whatsoever. And by consequences, we mean even someone daring to tell us that's wrong or they disagree with it or it's evil or it's wicked or it's sinful or it's irresponsible or it's false. Those are the kind of consequences which now we are trying to systematically purge from society. And yet you can't because it's a self-defeating premise. As soon as you say... Someone else shouldn't be able to tell me what I shouldn't be able to do. You have defeated your own premise with saying this other person shouldn't be able to say that. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Okay, well, what if my truth is that I get to tell you your truth is wrong and here are all the reasons why? Here's the logical argument for why. What if that's my truth? Oh, no, 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 you can't. Well, then I guess I can't live my truth. By your reasoning, you... (laughs) <laughs> actually are not for the things that you say you're for, you just want what you want. You're a creature of instinct. your foolish heart loves death. But then you go over to the Messiah tribesmen, who aren't even our culture, you know, if, if gender is a social construct, they're in a totally different society. You go and you ask them, "What is a woman? What is a man?" Is it possible for a man to become a woman or for a woman to be trapped in a man's body? Are these things that can happen and just watch their faces, watch their body language as this is translated for them. Matt Walsh doing an excellent job of keeping a straight face and the Maasai tribesmen not being able to keep a straight face at all at all. That's a really powerful segment because even in a completely different society, a different culture, they say if a man wants to be a woman and thinks that he's a woman, but he's actually a man, he's got a penis, for instance, for example, we say something's wrong with him. Something is wrong with his family. Something is wrong with the way that he was raised. He is not okay. Like some, He's not a woman. He's just not okay. These things that you are describing, these concepts that you're describing where a certain combination of elements comes together and we call that a woman, just like we would call a biological female a woman, that does not exist in our society. In part, because we don't put up with it. We don't tolerate it. It's deranged. It is self-destructive. It's corrosive. It's insane. But besides that, I think the smartest thing Matt Walsh did was sit down and talk with trans activists, academics, therapists, psychologists, and the detransitioned, as well as athletes, plus Carl Truman and Jordan Peterson, God love them, asking them all the simple question, deceptively simple in our day, not because this issue is so impossible to understand, but because there are ulterior motives that creep in there are temptations there are intimidations Walsh comes across as genuine while the folks who want to deny or get offended or get up and walk out this interview is over look like lunatics if they don't agree that women are real known objective quantities we can know what a woman is it's very very simple The only thing that's complicating it is cultural terrorists, plain and simple. And I grew up in the early 2000s, late 90s, being told that we don't negotiate with terrorists. So, no. (laughs) You, You just say, no, no, I'm not going to be bullied. And I'm not going to embrace your radical redefinition of what a woman is, because really... Where this ends, where this train comes into the station is death. And uh, I'm not too hot on getting on that train with you. No. Also, too, as an aside, sure enough, as I was watching, and I had already watched most of this, actually, because my sons were watching it maybe a year ago at this point or several months ago, anyway. They were watching it, and I kept coming into the room because my office is just one room over, from the TV room where they were watching. I kept coming in when I would hear certain parts that would catch my attention. And I kept listening like the whole time, even if I didn't come in to watch a certain part. So I kind of was watching it for the second time, but now I'm sure that I've watched the whole thing and didn't miss anything. I didn't recognize, I did miss the first time around, this book, it's perfectly normal. And that being a part of sex education, comprehensive sex education in the public schools in the U S again, as I mentioned in another recent podcast, my friend Dave Kanashog recently brought that book to church to show me, and it's perfectly normal operates on the premise that there is no downward limit for what age children should be sexualized radical Gender theorists for decades, for decades. And Matt Walsh has the receipts, and he's not the only one. Also Carl Truman in Strange New World. But for decades, the radical gender theorists and sexologists have been experimenting on children and molesting them and mutilating them and destroying them, and then writing these papers that get lauded not because they're true, but because they're permissive, but because they're part of this ongoing program that's proceeded apace since the Enlightenment, particularly the 18th century, but also the 17th and the 16th century, this war against the paradigm of the previous age that God has authority over we ourselves, and one another, and society, and the world. But again, in terms of seeing it for what it is, in terms of a persuasive piece of dialogue back and forth, I think What is a Woman was fantastic. Because it wasn't just a hit piece. It was, I want to sit down with you You're saying these things that I think are crazy, but I'm going to give you a chance to talk and I'm going to listen. And you tell me what a woman is because I just, I don't know. I don't know what a woman is. And you apparently are telling me what a woman isn't, but can you define what a woman is objectively? No. Okay. This interview is over. Okay. To quote Larry the Cucumber, I laughed, I cried, it moved me, Bob. But what is a cucumber? Do cucumbers exist or do we just assign them that name at birth in a presumptuous way? Maybe vegetables are a social construct. Food for thought. Uh, In other news, (laughs) for a follow-on, with regards to The Daily Wire and documentaries that are available on The Daily Wire. The Greatest Lie Ever Sold, recently put out by Candace Owens. Actually, I think it may have been released the day before yesterday, and I caught it not even 24 hours after it was published. I could be wrong on that. Not quite sure. Don't quote me. But in any event, if you or someone you know has questions about the legitimacy of the narratives surrounding Black Lives Matter, the movement or recent allegations of misappropriation of funds by Black Lives Matter. You know, massive amounts of money were donated to BLM, 80 million I think it was, from corporations, politicians, celebrities, individuals. If you're concerned and have some questions about Black Lives Matter and the narrative and what they're up to, watch this. Speaking personally, I lost a lot of friends over the BLM, CRT, woke social justice business, especially after the death of George Floyd. And besides just losing friends, several important family relationships were put under immense strain when I tried to write about this from Trayvon Martin to George Floyd and then after subsequently since George Floyd trying to write about this, trying to talk about this, there weren't just insinuations of racism casually thrown at anyone like me who questioned the leftist mainstream media narrative. Lives were lost. People were killed. Businesses were Destroyed. Communities were ravaged and terrorized. And the social fabric of America was arguably torn in two about it. I don't know that that fabric has been sewn back together. I don't know if it can be sewn back together. Yes, Candace Owens, follow the money. The money donated has been going to purchase lavish mansions. And that is shocking and deplorable and indictments need to be handed out. People need to be arrested and charged with fraud, long and short of it. But my concern remains what it always was that the underlying premise was a lie peddled by mercenaries, anarchists, trained activists, mountebanks, sycophants, And the brainwashed masses who were either unable or unwilling to stop and question the evidence. This is why we homeschool, by the way. But even in my saying that, our homeschooling is taken to mean by these radicals that we're racists. If we say, I don't want my kid being taught CRT, that's not true. It's false. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is Marxism with blackface, if I say that, then they say, oh, well, maybe you just shouldn't be allowed to have kids. Maybe you are abusing your children. You're raising little racists. Uh, No, actually, no. As a Christian, I see no support for racism in the Bible. I see different cultures rebelling against God, worshiping their own gods, I see even God's people rebelling against God, worshiping other gods. I see for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I see that as a great equalizer. I also see examples irrespective of race, so-called ethnos. I see people being saved by the grace of God from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and then gathering around the throne of the lamb i see that i see the meta narrative of the old testament and then on into romans as well of adam being one man eve being one woman and from them all mankind descending in 6000 years not in millions of years not in hundreds of millions of years not in billions of years in 6,000 to 10,000 years, if you follow the dates. Not enough time for molecules to man. And so I see in the scriptures with my very conservative theological interpretation, originalist, I would still call it a literal interpretation of the text. I see all mankind being one race and you having different tribes and different nations as mankind spread out over the world, you have genetic mutations happening, in part on their own, in part due to environment and diet and choices and culture and who intermarries with who and how that affects selective breeding. We see in other life forms can happen very quickly. And yes, I think you can have distinctions and differences and inequality, in a sense, between races, and it not be, first and foremost, the result of racism. But it can be due, in some measure, to the differences that are associated with culture. And can there be a genetic component? Sure. It's like when somebody says, obesity runs in my family. And the age-old quip is, It's not that obesity runs in your family. It's that nobody runs in your family. There's not a value placed. There's not a priority placed. There's not a tradition built up of running. That's why you guys are fat. (laughs) It's because you don't eat right, and you don't exercise, and you don't get out much. You have unhealthy habits and lifestyle that is common to the culture of your family. That's what it really is. The lie is an effort at abolishing America. As a kind of transitional form as secularists see it they want to abolish capitalism they want to abolish america they want to bring about a planetary civilization that is communistic that is marxism and i guarantee you if we self-destruct here in the us china will be running that new world order And everything, all of the awful, horrible, rotten, no good human rights abuses perpetrated by the Chinese Communist Party, you will get nowhere in trying to curb because they will turn these questions that they're using to destroy our civilization right back on you. You ask, what is a woman? And they'll say, what is a human right? And without an anchor for your soul to say, this is what is true. This is what is right. According to God, it is might makes right. It is to the victor go the spoils. Your altruism is not good here. It's like passing a fake bill, much like George Floyd, your faith in the inherent goodness of mankind will fail you. And ironically, as is often the case, it's a selective kind of assuming the best about people. We assume the best about Black Lives Matter if we are part of the woke bandwagon over the past seven years. We assume the best about the woke social justice warriors, about their intentions, about what they really want, and yet when it comes to a conservative pushback against it, we stop somehow believing that people are inherently good. And do you know what that's a factor of? That's a factor of public education indoctrinating generations of Americans, not to know how to think, but to be told what to think. We are fish in water who don't realize we're wet. Speaking of, let's get into the two books that I read. I finished yesterday, both by Carl Truman, who features in Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? First of all, Strange New World by Carl Truman, The book he, I believe, wrote most recently. I don't think he's got a more recent one, but he wrote this one, published this one after the very successful Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I think it's a shorter work. I was able to start and finish it yesterday, but I have two words for you. Social imaginary. Now, what is that? Well, Truman talks about it for a good bit in this book, and I might have been distracted when he first introduced the concept, or maybe he was too quick, too brief. Maybe I was just being dense. You could do worse than a 12-minute YouTube video explaining the concept by a certain Ellie Hein, H-A-I-N, on the channel The World We Create, uh, not least because she has an absolutely gorgeous accent. I don't know if it's French or what, but it's, it's definitely European, The short version of her quick video on the concept, explaining it, fleshing it out, is that culture, ideology, our concept of many other things, that's all downstream of this thing called social imaginary. An example would be that in the medieval era, the social imaginary was concerned principally with the authority of God and subsequently the divine right of kings you had authority ultimately in God, and then from there to the church and to the king, and then from the king filtering down to his lords, his nobles, you know, various men and women that he had given authority to. But in our day, in the modern era, these considerations of God's authority and the king's authority then down from there, have been replaced with primarily the idea of the nation, the idea of the economy, in short, where there was a theological basis for every question before, every issue, every subject. When theology was queen of the sciences in the medieval era, now everything is politics, economics, and psychology, and In this way of replacing theology with all of these other sciences centered on the nation, centered on the economy, the old world order has been upended, and everything must be secularized. Faith, that's a private matter. Virtue, except in a philosophical, clinical, and... (laughs) uh frog dissection kit sort of a way that's a private matter the public is all national politics and economic theory for those who also read the rise and triumph of the modern self by truman a lot of what is in this book will be familiar but i don't think as one of those people that this work is tedious for its repetition or rephrasing or remix of certain elements. One fresh piece of new content is the inclusion towards the end of the book of a mention by Truman of a recent conversation he'd had with his friend, fellow Christian intellectual academic author, Rod Draher, about being pessimistic or being optimistic, where this is all going. What comes next? Is there any place for... Christians, really, truly, in the world as it is, in the world as it will be for the foreseeable future, what I took away from his telling of that chat is that we should not be optimistic about what the future pretends for Christianity in America and the West, but neither should we be fatalistic. It is good, both men agree, it is good to hope and to put our hope in Christ And to continue striving to be faithful to God in building up and strengthening our own faith, our families, our homes, our local churches, in the timeless truths of God's word, come what may, we should not grow weary in doing good. Instead, we should be focused on faithfulness, what is true, what is beautiful, what is good, and leave the results And the blessing of that pursuit to God. Lastly, a second book of Carl Truman's I finished yesterday was The Real Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. It's a short book, maybe more properly a booklet than a book, only three chapters long. You could definitely read it in a day. But if you'll remember, if you've been listening to this podcast for very long at all, I did a review a while back of Mark Knoll's book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And Knoll, for his part, though I liked his work, The Civil War is a Theological Crisis, I did not like at all his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. Knoll wrote his book as a progressive Christian, self-identified progressive Christian, to criticize evangelical Christians in the U.S., For not engaging the culture, not cultivating their intellects, not getting in there with academia, with higher education, with the halls of power as far as learning goes. And he famously said, and I quote, the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there's not much of one. According to Carl Truman, the real scandal of the evangelical mind, spoiler alert, is that there is not much of an evangelical. As he says, this is because we don't agree about what the evangel is. It's one thing to say we're all about unity and the gospel. It's quite another thing to give meaningful answers to what that actually means in the particulars. And there are a few corrupting influences, as Truman points out. One is the negative imperative, my words, not his necessarily, For institutions and organizations to avoid being canceled, terrified of being exiled to a kind of academic, denominational, and social Siberia for actually taking theologically conservative positions as Christians. What does God's word say? Do we believe that? And what are you going to do about it? The terms accepted on this basis means that the conclusions are all foregone to the end of progressivism. What is affirmed through either active or passive agreement is liberal theology, so-called, which is a false gospel. But so long as you can put the word gospel in there and keep it superficial, maybe we can say we're all evangelicals, right? There's also a positive imperative to get big enough to have gravitas and accomplish meaningful change, to get noticed. And I feel this personally, and I have been part of organizations and endeavors with other people towards this end, to where I know this from the inside. Coalitions are formed and sustained by avoiding specificity or depth that might lead to division. And again, as with the negative imperatives... This ensures that the conclusions are more or less foregone. We will not say certain things. We will not go certain places. We will not bring up certain topics. We won't tolerate you doing it either because we don't want to break up a coalition that supposedly will do so much good once it gets to a certain size. But then the trouble is once it gets to a certain size, then you can't do it because you've got to keep the organization afloat. And we forget which are the means and which are the ends, I'm afraid. To hear Truman tell it, Christian pastors, teachers, professors, authors, and intellectuals have for decades been undermining their testimony and witness. Not so much for opting out of spaces they are either thrown out of or not invited to. In the first place, as Noel would say, the problem is ours The trouble is ours because we opted out. No, no. No, according to Truman, for decades, we've been undermining our testimony and witness by prioritizing more highly and consistently quick and ready agreement with secularists and progressives who hold sway. And this, I think, is why those same folks don't invite the more staunch conservative originalist Christians. And I think this is why they disinvite them. If they were apart, and then it comes out, they get to a certain size, and then they say, oh, actually, I have this conservative position. I believe that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. We see this outside the church, outside of the sphere of influence of what could be called American Christianity or American evangelicalism. J.K. Rowling, for instance, dares to criticize the transgender moment, not because she's a Christian, but because She's a feminist, and now she's out. She couldn't have gotten any bigger as an author, and yet that was no security for her. Or, let's say, on the Black Lives Matter and racism and anti-racism and social justice and critical race theory front, you don't get bigger than Kanye West. And yet, if he starts to come out and say, I'm pro-life, I'm against abortion. Abortion is murder. I've become a Christian. However imperfect uh, claim to faith in Christ he has, it doesn't matter how big and famous and wealthy he was. That's no security. I think the reason why within American evangelicalism, so-called, I think the reason why more staunch conservative originalist Christians are either not invited in the first place or else they're disinvited is because the folks who are doing the inviting and the disinviting are rewarded for relating to conservative Christians that way, and they're never quite punished and penalized for it. The incentive structure is a one-way street. Their intolerance against us, and I count myself in Carl Truman's camp, I agree with his take here. I do not count myself in Mark Knoll's camp. I think Mark Knoll has flattered the progressives and become one, flattered the secularists and become one. Their intolerance against us is tolerated, and it's the only kind of intolerance that is tolerable. By those who remain, who actively and passively affirm this status quo, you have a kind of rubber stamping of the way that conservatives are driven out. But works like Knowles shift the onus from those who are doing the gatekeeping on this basis to those who are being locked out. And that is only going to delay correction of the fatal error. It's like a big brother who's so much stronger than his little brother saying stop hitting yourself as he clubs him with his own hand. For the same reason he's able to club you with your own fist And say, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. You're in a very sorry spot to argue that you're not hitting yourself. And what's the point, anyways? He knows. He doesn't care. He's tormenting you because he can and because nobody bigger is stopping him. And where are the faithful witnesses who will say, that's enough? They're afraid because they don't want to damage their position, they don't want the big brother to come for them next it's corrupt. The real scandal of the evangelical mind is not that we're conservative, not that we believe in a literal Adam. For instance, as Truman points out, if you deny that Adam was a real man in Genesis, you come into some really big problems with the text in the New Testament. In Romans, for instance when the Apostle Paul is writing about one man, Adam, the first Adam, just like the second Adam, Christ. Oh, okay. Is the first Adam just a psychological construct? Did Paul not know? Was he ignorant? What else didn't he know? Are we believing all of this in vain? Is this all just a nice story, a bedtime story? Is this all just an excuse to get together, like people who enjoy playing board games or tabletop strategy games or computer games or who enjoy certain kinds of music or who enjoy knitting? Is it just a hobby? Is it just a social club? In far too many cases, the answer is yes. And yet, if you try to combine a faithful reading of the text with this textual criticism, on the other end of it, the big question is, can we know anything? It's epistemological suicide. And we see it everywhere. We see it with regards to gender and sexuality and economics and politics and the nation. We don't see a shoring up of these other topics as we stop distracting ourselves with mentions of God and the Bible and theology and doctrine. We don't see ourselves more ready to deal with simple basic questions like what is a woman or why might there be differences in income or incarceration rates or graduation rates or mortality rates in certain demographics. We don't find ourselves more capable of resolving these other questions after jettisoning God's word as our authority we find ourselves less and less able to answer these other questions because it's all just sophistry and an arm wrestling match. And eventually your arm gets tired or you start resorting to dirty tricks and the emperor has no clothes. And so the common people become increasingly resentful towards the elite. And meanwhile, the elite become increasingly disdainful towards the common people When the gatekeeping is on the basis of progressive, secular orthodoxy, that's the litmus test. And yes, increasingly, the conservative people will be less well-off and, decreasingly, will see any benefit or appeal to trying to emulate the upper class, our equivalent of aristocracy. And boy, howdy, do we have an equivalent of an aristocracy. There are haves and there are have-nots, and the rules do not apply equally. We have unequal weights and measures, which is an abomination to God. And for those who love God, it's an abomination, and it's offensive, and it's repulsive. And you don't fix that unequal weights and measures issue by playing to it or flattering it. And yet, many would say, peace, peace, on those terms of flattering the status quo, on Whatever terms Mark Knoll and his ilk would dictate. On whatever terms Black Lives Matter will dictate. And there's this awful story showcased in The Greatest Lie Ever Sold of this business owner in Minneapolis whose store was looted, pillaged, ransacked. And he highlights what's been done and the senselessness of it. And the fact that he has a very ethnically diverse workforce, his employees are very ethnically diverse. He's a white man, but how does this advance social justice or improve the condition of black Americans to destroy a place of business where black Americans, brown Americans were employed and earning their wage and earning a living. And Chrissy Teigen took to social media and not only mocked this man, but then said he was a racist and implied threats of more looting. If he didn't apologize, not just Chrissy Teigen, but also some friends of hers in the same ilk, the same mindset thinking they're doing social justice, but destroying someone's life, terrorizing someone online, threatening someone online Based on a false narrative. They wanted him to apologize. To them. Not the other way around. And if he wouldn't. Or refused to make a donation to Black Lives Matter. Well then. Bad things might happen. This is radical chic. And Mau Mauing the flag catchers. It's no new thing. It's a shakedown. It's the. Mafiosos coming into. The deli. And saying, this is a nice place you got here. It'd be a pity if something were to happen to it. You need to pay us protection money, or bad things might happen to you, to your family, to your deli. It's nothing new, but it's not suddenly okay. It's not suddenly right. It's not suddenly a good in society before God, just because supposedly... Black people are getting theirs now. Patrice Kalour's buys lavish mansions for herself, pays ridiculous salaries to her brother and the man with whom she had a child, pours ridiculous amounts of money into transgender organizations. Well, what does that have to do with Black Lives Matter? It has the same thing to do with Black Lives Matter that Strange New World does. Or what is a woman does? It's all of a piece. This is all part of a comprehensive plan and program that stems from the ideas of the Enlightenment, which, if this is what they are, cannot be sustained. So I think the book I'm going to be reading next is The Great Reset, and I need to call my cousin Micah, who was recommending it, find out more about it from him. But clearly. These things go together in the minds of the people who are promoting them. You donate $80 million to Black Lives Matter, and all of a sudden millions of that is going to transgender organizations. Why? Because we've defined justice as the radical rejection of God having any authority in our lives over us, it's satanic. And for Christians who think they can play patty cake or unify with that in any way, shape, or form and call it evangelicalism or bemoan publicly at length again and again, the idea that evangelicals would be creationists or homeschool their kids or vote Republican or show up at a school board meeting if their kids are in the public schools Upset about it's perfectly normal, normalizing sexual deviance, normalizing sexual immorality, making war against the very idea of there being such a thing as sexual morality, that cannot be sustained. It will self-terminate. It is self-terminating. And this is why I say I am cautiously optimistic in the medium and long term. Because these things cannot keep on as they are. They they just can't. Either the earth will be ripe for judgment and Christ returns, or depending on your eschatology, these things judge themselves and their consequences are found in what does happen when they pull all the blocks out of the base of the Jenga tower. Yes, it collapses. And we don't have to celebrate that. I think it's right to weep as the Jenga Tower is teetering and toppling and real people, real men and women and children are being brutalized, lied to, deceived, destroyed. It is right and proper for us to mourn them with the utmost conviction. But it's also even better for us to warn them and to keep our children close, to keep our marriages on God's terms, to know truth, and to be set free by the truth. Because a day will come, I'm sure of this, when Christians remember how to do things, and to do science, and to teach, and to lead, and to serve, more to the point. Because these are all ways we are called to serve. I'm not talking activism, and I'm not just talking vote Republican. Although I do believe, we would be fools to not vote Republican. If you stay home, you can't in good conscience vote at all. That's one thing, because you don't actually think that the Republicans are conservative. But if you go and vote Democrat right now, given the circumstances, you are destroying yourself, mind, body, and soul. These gods you are submitting yourself to They are not kind and gracious gods. They are cruel, malicious, lust-filled, insatiable gods. And just like the gods of old, they want you to sacrifice your children to them. They want you to sacrifice yourself to them. God, most high, on the other hand, is slow to anger. And as we're going into tonight with the second lecture, In our biblical training group, What is Christian Theology? There's this thing called common grace, which God has bestowed on all of us. The only reason why we're even alive to have the opportunity of salvation in Christ is because God is gracious, not willing that any should perish. And yet, I firmly believe, however it comes to be, God does give us the capacity to choose, and we are really and truly responsible for our choices. If we choose to be corrupt and evil and wicked, to be idolaters, to be malicious, if we choose to love death because we hate God, we are capable of making that choice, and we will lie in the bed we've made. And yet, the good news, the evangel, the evangelion, is that there is a way of escape in Christ. Whosoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life, life without end. That's where the fulfillment of the foolhardy pursuits we know of as progressivism is actually found. They may want a legitimate thing in some measure, or there is some validity to what it is that is in their hearts to desire But they cannot have it apart from Christ. They cannot have it while in rebellion against the God to whom we belong, who made us, who made the heavens and the earth, to whom the heavens and the earth belong. If you really want progress, it has to be on his terms, and it has to be by the power of his goodness. It can't be had if our idea of justice knows no bounds, with regards to generations, is content to destroy someone based on the color of their skin because they look like someone who we've read and been told hurt people that look like me generations ago, somewhere, supposedly. Yes, people have been hurting each other, male, female, black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor, since one generation out the garden, murdering one another destroying one another. It's not new. And yet, peace, really, truly, not peace, peace when there is no peace, but peace is found in Christ. Micah six eight says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's what we're called to. If that feels foreign, it's not for no reason. Because the whatever you want to call it, call it the social imaginary, if you please. The social imaginary of the modern era is to reject God's authority, not just in certain areas, not just a little here, a little there, comprehensively across the board. God is dead and we have killed him, as Nietzsche says. But that's satire. We can't actually kill God. If we think we can, that's because God has given us over to a reprobate mind. We've become wise in our own eyes and our foolish hearts are now darkened. We are incapable of reason, which means that we are incapable of doing good science, which is to say that everything we touch is going to crumble in our hands. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Seek ye first God and his righteousness. So a right standing with him and all these things will be added unto you. If we get the order out of whack to where we think that God can be a kind of garnish, a bit of parsley that's on the side of our dish, but it's all about us, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, we die, well then, we are incurring judgment. And the wisdom that we think is so wise is actually exceedingly foolish. And the foolish thing that we think is so pointless is actually the very greatest wisdom we could avail ourselves of and must if we don't want to be destroyed. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. All four of these, which I have either watched or read or listened to, in the past two days, I recommend to you. Thank God for Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Carl Truman. We need more men and women like this. Courageous, full of conviction, willing to speak the truth, to highlight what is beautiful, to embrace, and to strengthen what remains. By God's grace, we can have hope. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.